Believe. This is our fifth week in Believe, and I trust that you've noticed that there is a progression. The first week we talked about God, said I believe that the God of the Bible is the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the next week we said, I believe God cares about and is involved in my daily experience. Then we said, we, we believe that we come into relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then last week we said, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that it has the right to determine my beliefs and my action. This week, we're going to be looking at our identity in Christ. And my prayer is that each of us will find our true identity rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got it expressed, again, in a key belief. And I'm going to ask that we read this together. Maybe some of you will need to read it by faith. Go, I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. That's one thing to read that. It's another thing to really believe it so deeply that it changes the way we think and live. And so in your reading this week, when you discuss it in Ohana groups, and even beginning with this message, it's my prayer that we'll move toward that. So many passages that we could have looked at that relate to this, but the one key passage, I guess, uh, for this, we come to John chapter 1 for, because John the Apostle is talking about how Jesus came into this world, came first to his own people, the Jewish people, but they rejected him. And then in verse 12, chapter 1, he says this, and let's read this together. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jews or Gentiles, anyone can become a child of God. Some people say, well, we're all the children of God. Actually not, according to the Bible. Not until we come to faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross and receive him into our lives. Now, I think it's safe to say that some of you here this morning probably feel significant. You, you believe that you matter and have worth. And there are others, maybe, of you that aren't so sure of that. Not sure that you really matter, that you have that much worth. But I'm also convinced that probably too many of us base our feelings of significance in the wrong place rather than being in Christ. That's what I want us to think about. I want you to give some thought to this morning. And, and in, in Luke chapter 5, there's an account of Jesus interacting with some fishermen that I think illustrates the challenge that we have to put our identity in Christ. Luke chapter 5, and there's some principles I've extracted from this that I set forth in the bulletin that I want to present to you. Here's the first. We strive continually to prove our significance through our performance. 
Luke chapter 5 verse 1 begins, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee, another name for it. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. I can just picture this scene. I mean, there's this multitude and Jesus is speaking to them, the word of God, and, and uh, it's crowded and he's down there by the shore. There's... Simon and Andrew and James and John, they're over there on the rocks cleaning the debris out of their nets. They've been out all night fishing, and uh, they're listening. And then it becomes apparent that, well, Jesus, I believe, asks Simon permission. Could he use his boat? So he goes out just a little ways, and then the water serves as a natural amphitheater, and he can speak to the crowds from there. And during this time, Simon and the other fishermen are politely listening, going about their work on the nets, getting ready for the next night's outing. And uh, then Jesus said, Simon, after he gets through this message, can uh, you put out here into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? And I think that caught Simon off guard. And I think he's thinking, what? Are you kidding? We've been out. And he has, I think he's thinking all these things. And, and maybe he, he would like to say, Rabbi, listen, I've been politely listening to your message. I've even loaned you my boat. But come on, I'm a fisherman. I mean, I, I think maybe you ought to stick to what you do well. And see, Simon didn't know that Jesus had created the fish in that little pond that they were in there. He didn't realize that at this point. But he respected him and he says, Rabbi, yeah, okay, because you say so, I'll do this. That uh, was because Simon was fisherman. That was his identity. And he was a good one. He said, we worked hard all night. He was a hard-working, maybe a rough-talking, in all probability, fisherman. And uh, he was proud of that. Maybe rightly so. He made a living for his family. And he knew fishing. He knew you didn't always catch fish when you went out. Sometimes there's dry spells, but you rest up and go out again, as he planned to do that night. Now Jesus is saying, no, you need to do this now, and uh, you'll have a catch. I think Peter is so much like us. We strive for significance. We want to achieve in whatever our vocation or endeavors. We, we want to be known for being skillful and for being successful. That's just human nature, whether it's in academics or sports or whatever we do, we, we like to be successful and we find significance in that. Is that bad? No, it's not to a degree. Dr. James Dobson, with Focus on the Family for so many years, he said this, every child uh, needs something in which he or she can excel in. It's a compensating factor. 
to help them feel good about themselves and uh, that they're okay with their peers. And parents need to help their children to find that. My grandson Brooks just got his green belt in Taekwondo. He's so proud of that. Is that bad? No, not really. I, I think that's okay. Adults need that too. But there's two mistakes that we make. One, if our performance becomes an artificial identity, if it's not real, if it's fake, if our performance becomes an artificial identity, I don't know if you've heard of James Harrison. He's the outside linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he came into the news recently because, well, here's how he put it in his own words. I came home to find that my boys, he has two sons, received two trophies for nothing, participation trophies. While I'm very proud of my boys, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned, and I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by making them believe that they are entitled to something just because they tried their best. Because sometimes your best is not enough. And that should drive you to want to do better, not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut you up and keep you happy. Wow. Good point, right? Kids know if they are winning or losing. They know if it's just a participation trophy. But in our politically correct society, it's come to the point where in sports activities or school endeavors, we give the same thing to everyone. And then who feels like they need to strive for more? That's an artificial identity. It's fake. And people know it, especially the people who receive those participation trophies. I don't think that's helpful. I also don't believe it's helpful, and I think we make a mistake, not just when there's an artificial identity, but also when our performance equals our absolute identity. In other words, that's it. That's as good as it gets. What we've achieved, that's our absolute identity. I received a phone call on Friday from a person that I met recently, and he's had some struggles in his life. He's had some difficult years. And he was very encouraged because uh, he's gone through recovery now, and uh, he's gotten into a, a job training program, and it's really rigorous. And uh, he's got an exam this weekend that he's taking, and uh, that's good. But here's what he said, and it was so good for this message, I had to write it down. He said, regarding this, this uh, training, he said, they don't just give you a certificate. You have to earn it. This has saved me. I found my identity once again. Now, to his credit, that's excellent. He's getting some self-esteem back. But what he needs to stop short of is thinking that this saves him ultimately that his identity will be all wrapped up in this vocation because that would be far short of what God intends for him. That's making your performance your absolute identity, whether it's in your vocation, achievements, accomplishments, or whatever. So don't, don't let performance be artificial or absolute. And uh, that is also reflected, by the way, this absolute performance identity, I should say, in a guy named Ted Giannolis. 
I'd be surprised if many of you know who this is, but you might know who he's become. That's the San Diego chicken. The, he, was, uh, he became the San Diego chicken for the Padres and various organizations when he was in college. I mean, do you know this guy has met presidents through the decades and celebrities? But Ted is getting older. He's 50 years old now. And... Um, He's never photographed other than in costume. Uh, this is his whole identity. He, he, no one knows the real Ted. He doesn't have a family. Uh, Philly Fanatic, who is another mascot, he said, Ted was the first and the funniest, and I have nothing but respect for him. But if you're not careful, you can lose yourself in that suit. And Ted says of himself, I have plenty of chicken stories. I'm afraid I don't have any Ted stories. Wow, that's sad. But that can happen to us. We can so lose ourselves in our vocation or the achievements that we're doing that that's it. And when that's gone, wow, there's nothing left. How tragic would that be? You see, that's why we need a God encounter. In fact, an encounter with God interrupts our agenda and, punctuate, and punctures our pride. That's what happened with these fishermen here, starting with Simon. Verse 5, or excuse me, verse 8. When they had done this, when they had let down their nets, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isn't that an amazing response? I mean, you'd expect him to be jumping up and down shouting hallelujah, right? No, he is on his knees before the Lord saying, Get out of my boat, Lord. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. What happened here? I heard a podcast by Pastor Tim Keller this last week, I think, that gives some insight into this. He said that there's a real difference between believing in God as a concept and believing in God as reality. He said a lot of people believe in God as a concept but have never really encountered him in reality. I think that's where Peter was. Simon had grown up in Capernaum. He, he went to the synagogue there regularly. He definitely believed in God, but now he encountered him. And when he got in the presence of God, he was overwhelmed, devastated. We sang a song this morning, Come Holy Spirit, or we welcome you in this place. Uh, come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Our, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And I thought, when we sang that, do we really know what we're asking for here? I mean, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. The glory of God in Scripture means weight. And when his weight comes down upon us, we're stunned by his holiness. And all that encompasses this deity that we worship. That's what Peter experienced here. That's what Job experienced in the Old Testament when he was complaining to God about his severe afflictions. 
And then God showed up. And then remember what Job said? He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That's what Isaiah experienced. When in Isaiah 6, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was in the temple, the last place he expected to encounter God, and he did. And then he realized when the angel came and put a coal on his lips in that vision, he said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, in the presence of God, in the presence of holiness, we realize how sinful we are. We realize that we have nothing of our own righteousness to offer the Lord. And certainly, any significance that we thought we had has evaporated. That's what happened to Peter here. Some of you may say, well, I believe in a God of love. He would never make you feel that way. He'd never make you feel bad about yourself. I got this from Tim Keller also. He said, okay, for just a moment, let's just say that God is infinite love. Let's set the holiness part aside. He's only love. He's pure love. So when you get into his presence, what happens? You realize, oh my gosh, I thought I was loving. I'm just self-centered. My love really has a catch to it. And, and I'm, my love is cruelty compared to that kind of pure, unconditional love. Being in the presence of God, having an encounter with him, reveals any esteem that we had is gone. We have nothing to offer him. And that's where Peter was in this moment. And that leads us to this very important third principle. Lasting significance is ours when we find our identity in Christ. Verse 9. For amazement had seized Simon and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's an amazing turnaround. Just a few moments. Here is Simon on his knees before Jesus, feeling so dirty and unworthy and disgusted with himself. And then, in the presence of God, he realizes he's loved. He is absolutely accepted. And not only that, Jesus invites him to partner not with those other guys in fishing, but for all of them to partner with him in taking the good news to the world. To have a mission to partner with God. Wow. From devastation to exaltation right there. And that's what happens in an encounter with God. Yes, we have to let go of our own pride, our own claim to significance and achievement because it just evaporates in his presence. But then he gives us a much greater claim to fame in being his children and in being his emissaries. You see, in the search for significance, the quest that most of us have been on, looking for it in accomplishments, achievements, or whatever, if we're successful, 
well, then we're happy about that. We're confident and we're bold. But we're probably not very humble because we did it. On the other hand, if we fail in whatever endeavor it is, well, we're humble. And we're probably sensitive to the people around us that are struggling as well, but we're not very bold and confident. But when we have a God encounter, we realize who we are before Him, and then we're restored by Him, we're humble because we realize it was His righteousness that we have been granted, not our own. But we're also bold and confident. And we find all of those things only when our significance is located in our position in Christ, now that we've become children of God. I think this is really powerfully illustrated by another athlete. I mentioned James Harrison. I want to mention Daryl Strawberry. Some of you are familiar with this superstar in baseball. He played for three different major league organizations, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. Six foot six, when he would step into the batter's box, boy, the opposing team was scared. The pitcher for sure was because he could reach anywhere in that uh, strike zone and, and put him over the fence. In fact, in 1986, he helped the Mets win a World Series championship. Uh, he helped the Yankees win championships in 96, 98, 99. Eight years in a row, he was voted to the All-Star game. But he was also suspended three times from the Major League Baseball because of his substance abuse. And he had so many issues. He was, well, in fact, in his own words, he said he had houses and cars and nothing. He was pursuing so many different pleasures in his life, but he was always coming up empty. And so he got strung out on drugs and alcohol. There were so many stories in sports magazines about the massive potential that was going unfulfilled. He was amazing, but what could he have been? Well, now he's interviewed, and um, he tells the story. When he was at his lowest, he went into a recovery program, and he had an encounter with God. Gave his life to the Lord and uh, began to realize who he was in Christ. He'd been striving for, for uh, approval from a dad that he never knew and from others around him to prove that he was somebody. And he could never be good enough. He, the superstar, could never be good enough. But he found that he was good enough in Christ. And so in that recovery program, he met a woman. In fact, a preacher's daughter who was also in recovery. She came to Christ as well. They've married. They're both pastors now. And they have a ministry ministering to people to tell them where to find their real significance. And that is as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to his past, he says that was another life. I heard him interviewed recently by Jim Daly on Focus on the Family. And Jim wanted to talk baseball, and Daryl says, Hey, I want to talk about Christ and who I am in him. Wow, that's powerful. I think that so many of us, we've heard voices putting us down, telling us we're not good enough, maybe, maybe not smart enough, not attractive enough thin enough, rich enough, 
uh, uh, athletic enough, not from the right family, and, and we believe those voices, so we think, I've got to try harder. I've got to strive for this. But you know what? We need to hear God's voice saying that, no, you're not any of those things. You're not good enough. But you know what? You are everything in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with striving for success as long as that's not our absolute identity. We need to, to give ourselves to the talents and the abilities God's given us so long as that doesn't become the performance, our absolute identity. That needs to be located in Christ. That John, John that uh, was the fisherman there that day, the one that followed Jesus along with Simon and, and Andrew and James, later, after he'd been following him for a number of years, he wrote this, and I love it. He never got over who he was and where his significance resided. This is what he wrote in 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So now we follow the Lord. We obey him, not to earn his love, not to become somebody, but because we are somebody. We're children of God. And our living for the Lord is to express our gratitude for who he's made us and how he's brought us into the family of God. Psychologists tell us there are five things that we need to have a healthy self-esteem. Number one is to feel loved. How could you ever be more loved than by God the Father who loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love? Secondly, that we need to feel secure. Jesus said that if we are believing in him, that we belong to him and that nothing can ever snatch us from his hand. Third, to feel significant. How much more significance is there than being a child of God? That's eternal. Never gets any better than that. Fourth, to have a sense of belonging. We'll talk about that more next week. But we belong to the church, the family of God. And then fifth, to have a sense of purpose. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He says to every one of us that we are new creatures in Christ and that we have been entrusted with the gospel and sent out as ambassadors for Jesus. To live the gospel and to share the good news with everybody that we encounter. It doesn't get any more significant in terms of purpose than that. We have it all infinitely more than we'll ever get from any quest for significance in earthly values. It's all located in our identity in Christ. So let's pull up that affirmation once again. And I'm believing and praying that we can declare this with conviction at this point. Let's go. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. 
Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for what you've done, how you've loved us, how you have brought us into the family of God, declaring us to be your children simply because we believed and received you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I would pray that each of us would find our absolute and ultimate identity in being your children. And that live out of that. Yes, being uh, striving to, to bless others because we've been so blessed. And finding joy in that, but knowing our significance is in who we are in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.